Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. Evan, we're going to need to fundraise after to pay the uh, witch doctor that we had to use to revive Brad's lifeless corpse to record this episode. My God, Brad, you look terrible. This isn't, you didn't revive anything. You ever seen Weekend at Bernie's? Yeah, that's about where we're at right now. Puppet masters are uh, S tier. (laughs) That's far closer to the reality right now. Yeah, if Brad sounds smarter or more likable, it's just that the guy we have acting as his ventriloquist today is... uh, is you know really knowledgeable in the hockey space. We should get some for me and you, Evan. This might be a good podcast after. I agree. I agree. Folks, welcome to this uh, unexpectedly but necessarily remote episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast. Unfortunately, Brad is rocking the late summer flu right now. So as much as we give him hell, we do hope he feels better soon. But that doesn't mean we're not going to get you an episode. Uh, Here to talk to you about all things Detroit Red Wings hockey, the world of the NHL, and plenty more. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco, mostly. And I'm Evan. On this episode of the Winged Wheel podcast, as Brad coughs his lungs out, uh, we do actually have some interesting topics to talk about. We're going to uh, dip into the conversation of Lucas Raymond and what does he need to do this upcoming season. And then we're joined by none other than Max Boltman, who is not only prepping for the new season, but also has a contract extension to speak of. Uh, we'll talk about the Patrick Kane rumors going around, uh, swirling between Uh, Detroit and the free agent who's taken some time off to start the year at least. And then uh, some quick notes about the PWHL and the formations in that space. Uh, All that and plenty more before overtime. Before all that, I want to let you know that this podcast is almost entirely supported by our Patreon supporters. Patreon.com slash Podcast. if you want to support the show. You get access to our Patreon-exclusive Discord. You also get access to our Patreon-exclusive overtime bonus episodes. So those record right after these main episodes uh, where we kind of let loose, have fun, answer more questions from our patrons. Uh, additionally, during the off-season, all midweek episodes are patreon exclusive as well so those are uh, even more bonus shows uh, a little bit more of a different format the evergreen kind of style of conversations that we have we cover different topics brad and evan just put one out uh, titled gear nerd which has been a fun series going on where they don't just make fun of my hockey gear they uh, talk all things hockey equipment uh, gear coming up what pros use what amateurs should use etc so worth checking out Also, all of our patrons are automatically entered into all of our giveaways. We gave away two tickets to every Detroit Red Wings home game last season, and we are going to do the same thing this upcoming season, the vast majority going to our Patreon supporters. So again, patreon.com slash winged wheel podcast. We've said plenty of times on this podcast, guys, that a lot of this next upcoming season hinges on the way Lucas Raymond can take a step. It's not necessarily fair Uh, to Raymond for me to think this way, but I often think of him compared to Tim Stutzla. Stutzla picked one pick before, Raymond picked one pick after. We always said that a really good outcome for Raymond would be that if he ended up uh, anywhere as good as Stutzla or in that realm. Well, when Stutzla came into the league, he obviously did really well. Raymond, when he came in a year after, similarly did really well and to the point where probably a little overzealous, but Red Wings fans were like, this could be even or as good of a pick as Tim Stutzler, or even better. Last year, that kind of tempered a little bit because Tim Stutzler really, really, really excelled as expected. And Raymond had, I don't even want to call it a sophomore slump. It's not like he had a bad year, but he didn't take the step that he really was poised to this up or after his rookie season, wherein his progress didn't move forward linearly. Uh, teams seemed to have the tape on him. His space collapsed, his shot came and went, he was a little bit streaky, and he wasn't able to put together you know, consistent 82 games of the Lucas Raymond that we knew he could be. A big part of that was he needs to get stronger, and that's normal for guys his age and of his stature. Like You just need to be able to muscle your way through today's NHL, even though it's a faster, more skill-based league, you know, you can't just not have any strength to generate a a shot. You can't have uh, no strength to bounce off checks or create your own space. You you need to kind of be able to power through it. 
And it was reported by Will Birchfield uh, talking to Derek Lalone that uh, Raymond has, quote, put on eight to nine pounds, doesn't even look like the same athlete. So small little tidbit there, but it's a good segue into uh, how does this kind of make you think about Raymond's upcoming season? I'm glad to see we're into a best shape of his life territory uh, this early into the uh, season before camp even starts. It's borrowing because the NFL is starting. It's an inspiration. I know, right? Yeah, it's it's an age-old tradition that transcends sports. You know, with Raymond last year, we saw the confidence issues specifically in the shot. So as much as the added muscle should help in the small areas of the game, I don't think that was his biggest issue last year. The number of, you could tell when he wasn't feeling it, he wasn't feeling it. He, he passed up a lot of good looks, especially on the power play where he could have just let it go. And he chose to try to make a pass that was a little too cute, that wasn't there, broke the play down, nothing came of it. That and he needed to get a little quicker. So that's where I'm hoping the strength really does come into play. If, you know, a lot of that strength comes in his legs and he's a little faster on the ice, a little quicker off the jump. And, is even more effective at creating some space for himself because we know he's a smart player. We know he knows what to do on the ice. It's just being able to do it quickly, effectively, and, you know, it sounds dumb to say, without hindrance. So a bit of muscle, a bit of speed, a bit more time should free him up to do more of the things he's good at, which is obviously a pretty long list of things on the ice. So I don't know. I'm optimistic as long as he can stay out of his own head. And even if the speed and the small area game is just a little bit better that could go a long way for a player like him dylan larkin is also performing at the peak of his career right now like his output has been better and better every year and you have to imagine that this is about you know the best version of dylan larkin that we're going to see so you want to capitalize on that if you're you're lucas raymond like this is a really good number one center that you're going to be playing with who his other line mate is, it could be Debrinket. You know, you're going to hear in a conversation in a little bit with Max. He thinks maybe the way to go is not Debrinket, but still the talent around him is getting better all the time. So it's not like he's coming into a Detroit Red Wings team five years ago where he is the only fleck of hope and no one else on this team can feed him the puck or convert on any of his passes. So you're right, Brad. I don't think there's a lot of cause for concern. I think this is, as far as sophomore slumps go, I've seen worse. And as far as what I think Raymond needs to do to really kind of make up for that and take that big step, I've seen kind of bigger gaps. It's all part of, you know, the process to go with more sports stereotypes here or, or, you know, classic adages. But yeah, it's this is just kind of the process he has to go through and it's the natural progression. The next part is, is trying to execute. How much of an impact would you say Lucas Raymond's performance is going to have on this team this season? Because... The biggest shortcoming they had last year was a lack of an ability to score. They got better defensively. By all rights, they are poised to get even better defensively this year. And that's not just on defense. That's team defense under Derek Lalonde's instruction. But they couldn't score. So how much of Detroit's success kind of falls on Lucas's shoulders? More than we probably would like to admit. I, I know the team's been preaching that, you know, got to increase offense by committee, which is true, but I think we all know is largely BS. Most of this roster is very limited in how much their offense can grow. The two big factors for this team in terms of increasing goals are Alex DeBrinkett and Lucas Raymond. Whether they're playing on the same line or whether they're each carrying the goal scoring load for the first and second line respectively that's where it's coming from that's going to be most of it you know again could joe valeno pop off for an extra five to ten goals maybe andrew cop bounce back year for maybe another five goals sure could see it but again that amount of goals is not a huge impact on it whereas with lucas raymond and alex to bring it bringing to bring it in could be an extra you know, 15 goals if all goes well versus what Kubelik provided last year. And if Raymond can increase, like Raymond has the potential to increase his goal total this year by 10 to 15 as well. And that is a substantial amount. So if you get an extra 25 to 30 goals there, that's an extra goal in a third of your games for the whole season, which is again, substantial between two players. So that is 
not only the hope, that is the most likely scenario. Because again, as much as I want to believe that Rasmussen and Valeno and Cop and whoever is going to come in and, and help increase the offense by committee, those numbers are going to be very limited. So the substantial increase has to come from the top six. And that increase is going to be to Brinkett and Raymond. I agree. I think most of it falls on to Brinkett and Raymond. You're right, Brad. Just the way this game is played, you can try to drum up as many scrappy goals from your depth players as possible. But in terms of consistent, repeatable, expected and substantial goal output, yeah, that, that has to come from your best guys. I will say I do see what the team is saying, though, when you know increasing goals by committee is going to be part of the plan. Like Detroit's goal scoring is so deficient right now that they're not... They need to improve in all spaces. So I understand that kind of talking point. It's just not what you can plan for. Like you can add better guys to your depth and you can put together better systems and you can just, you know, work on being a little bit more league average in terms of what do you expect from, for example, your bottom six. But you, no one's going to go out there and say, oh, you know what? We're going to make up four fifty extra goals from our bottom six next year. Like that doesn't really... If that was the case, then they wouldn't be in your bottom six. So that's Lucas Raymond. Any kind of closing thoughts before we jump into this interview with Max on uh, Raymond's progression so far and what we expect from him next season? You know, we've been waiting for this sort of moment for him to sort of release the parachute and, and really take off. So sounds like he's doing everything that needs to be done to have that sort of success. So I'm, I'm really excited to see what, uh, what Lucas has in the tank for this season. That's Raymond. Let's jump over to Max. Max Boltman of The Athletic Detroit, good friend of the show, and recently announced that he's staying with The Athletic Detroit for a while longer yet as his contract's been renewed. So I joked uh, signing of the offseason, and uh, I think I mean it. Because Did he, he go does. long-term or bridge deal? I It was just described as multi-year. You know how they are in Detroit. They're cagey about their contracts. Do you Fair. guys remember the days where teams wouldn't have to announce their contract terms? And so many, so many of the teams, Detroit especially, had a policy of we're not announcing the terms. Uh, as per team policy, terms of the deal have not been announced. And you would just have to wait for a reporter or something. That was terrible. I'm so happy the NHL put an end to that. That would make our podcast so much worse. In terms <laughs> of just like speculative content, it'd be like, oh, I wonder if Justin Applicator signed a one-year deal or a five-year deal. <laughs> like, so silly. Like, Hey, uh, this sport that everyone watches and you're interested in, you're only allowed to know some things about it. Anyhow, uh, let's jump into this interview with Max Boltman as we discuss the offseason, upcoming training camp, uh, and the season ahead for the Red Wings. Enjoy. Max, I wasn't going to talk to you until the season started because when we're talking more, it means, you know, hockey's back and you know, the downtime is over, et cetera, et cetera. But the signing of the offseason, man, congratulations on your new extension. We were texting like yesterday. What do you mean? Uh, you don't have to ruin it for everyone. <laughs> People don't need to know that we're friends. It's better if they think there's a little bit of a... <laughs> no, congrats, man. It's uh, not unsurprising, but fantastic news to know that you're going to continue with uh, with The Athletic. Thanks, man. No, I was super pumped about it. I'm really glad to stick around for uh, some more some more years. Max Boltman, The Athletic Detroit. Always happy to have him back on the show. Uh, it's been, I don't want to say a quiet summer, Max, because I think for Detroit, it's its not been. You know, we already had to regroup once to talk about Alex Dabrinkit, and now here we are. There's been another trade since we've spoken uh, in Jeff Petrie, and we're, you know, inches away from training camp and the prospect tournament and everything. So let's start with that Petrie trade, and before we look at the overall lineup, that trade itself, what, uh, what was your reaction to it? What was the impact that you perceived to the Red Wings lineup? I probably had a similar arc of reactions to the to the general public. I was doing a, a podcast when it came out, so that it was like I was trying to process it while paying attention to to Corey and to Chris Peters and Scott. We were, I think, we were doing our uh, Corey's pipeline ranking roundtable or the U twenty three roundtable or something like that. So I was kind of trying to figure out what exactly to make of it. Um, my first thought was, this feels like too many defensemen. But after about an hour, two hours, sending a couple texts around to see what other people thought, I kind of got to the 
spot of, well, it's probably the best, the best defense group that they could have had then. Um, because I do think he's an upgrade over uh, a couple of the, we talked about on previous episodes, I think kind of how the, it's a, it's a top pair and then it's kind of a bunch of four to five defensemen, right? Um, Olimata was good on the second pair last year, best cast as a third pair defenseman. Ben Chirap has played on the second pair. Um, he can do it. Probably last year showed you maybe you feel most comfortable with him in a four five role, right? Like whether he's the second guy on the second pair or the top guy on the third pair. Um, and I, and I think there's just a bunch of guys like that. They went on Justin Hall. I think you can make a cases like that. Shane Gossespierre. I think you can make a cases like that. I think Petrie's probably a solid second pair D. And so that, that boosts the whole group. He's played with Sherratt. So that makes a lot of sense. I would expect that to be the second pair to start the season. Um, Sherratt, Petrie. And I think he brings offense to the back end. And I think that's been one of the themes, um, of this offseason is the Red Wings want to keep the defensive identity and certainly adding another defenseman contributes to that. But, but Petrie is one of their better offensive defensemen should be on day one. And they know they need to score more goals. And that, that I think is the, the key theme. So, uh, by the end of it all, I thought, well, you know what? You could not have gotten him for this price, I don't think, on the open market uh, in terms of free agency. And he wants to be there. And maybe that gives him a little bit of a resurgence. But either way, this is a guy who's used to playing 22 minutes a night. And if you can get him any under that, it probably only raises his level at this age. So by the end of it, I came out thinking, yep, yeah, actually, that makes a good amount of sense. An immediate thought that a lot of folks had and you know, you alluded to it here is what does this mean for the defensemen who are trying to come in and break into the team? And what it ultimately settled on in my mind was every single prospect that the Red Wings have that's supposed to make the jump still has competition in the way. There's no kind of Mo Sider situation where Mo Sider was Detroit's only right-handed defensive option between, you know, the Red Wings and the Griffins. That, that's not the case here. So Edvinson came to mind right away and do you think that, you know, the combination of his shoulder surgery and with Petrie coming in, that his likelihood of, of uh, you know, team for this upcoming season is leaning much more towards the Griffins? Yeah, and that was the, I probably should have mentioned that in the last question, because that was the other thing was like, well, it, it probably is the best thing for the first couple months of the season, but it's, it's in terms of Edvinson, unless there's an injury or two, uh, probably now two because there's really seven full-time NHLD there who, who would I think expect to be regulars in general. It's it's hard to see a path for him right out of the gate, especially coming off the injury. And, and maybe that's why. Maybe it's just like, look, we're not going to get burned by not knowing how this guy's going to come back from this. And you know, they didn't necessarily feel like he had kicked the door down last year. Although I don't know about you, I thought of the nine games he played, at least like six of those were like, yep, this is this is. He's ready. Um, I thought that, you know, maybe a little closer to the cider line of thinking that they have when he was coming up, which is like, all right, yeah, he's he's going to be ready for this. But they they chose a different route. I do still think he's going to play a good amount um, because there will be injuries and because I do expect that that's just where his arc is going to go. But it was a little that, – that was a little strange. And, and I think certainly now I, I have to expect he starts with the Griffins. Um, and then I guess we'll see how long does it take. I mean – the one thing that was interesting, someone put a stat up of like how many defensemen each team used last year, and the Red Wings were low. It was like nine played more than X number of games, and there were a lot of double digits. So maybe the Red Wings got luckier with injuries last season on the blue line than um, is maybe repeatable, and maybe that's what they're kind of guarding against. I agree. I think by the time injuries shake out and you see what happens over the course of the season, one roster spot almost always freeze up. That's just kind of the way these things go. So I don't I don't think it's a gimme for Edvinson, but I think he has he will have every opportunity. It's also leading into what's probably going to be born into my next, you know, tinfoil hat theory, which is you, there's going to be a contract that's going to be moved if it needs to. It could be one of those situations where Eisenman waves a guy and sends him down, you know, either he clears waivers or not. But I'm wondering if we're not getting into deadlines where some of these you know, middle to bottom of the line of contracts that Eisman has accumulated over the years is going to be uh, shipped out at some point, mostly just to make room. Uh, you and I have talked about too, I think the, the buyout potential of some of those contracts. Now, I don't think, ideally, you're not hoping to be talking about buying out a contract a year or less after it's signed in some of these cases. But if they needed to buy out a Sherratt or a Hall or, 
even a Mata Gossip Bears up. So that's one. Um, it, it's doable in all those cases, um, without a huge hit. And I think most of them are even just outright movable still. Like we'll see what happens with Sherratt and Hall this year. Those are probably the two that need them to have a good year if, if you're going to trade them. But if they have a good year, do you want to trade them? Um, but I, I think you could, I think that the solutions to it are out there. It's just a weird position to be in because you just signed all these deals within the last 13 months. So. 14 months. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, that part's interesting. I, but I, I got to think it's just a, they're going to be deeper. They're going to be able to withstand some injuries. And if Simon Edvinson does get time this year and is good, they're not going to say, Oh, sorry, the vets are back. You've been good, but you got to go, go back. I, I don't see that as long if he's been that good. Um, but if they feel like he's green, then I guess that's what they'll do. And, and that would be the more concerning thing is if, if he does get that opportunity and he gets a sustained 20, 25 games and can't grab it. I think that's more concerning. I agree. I, I think this Eiserman and Lalone and Blashill before him, they've all been, you know, really, really, really good almost through and through about if a young player seizes an opportunity, they give it to them. Um, I know Sider's the easy one. Raymond's the easy one to point to, but even look at Soderblom. They let Soderblom stick and they made tough roster decisions until it didn't make sense for Soderblom to be on the roster anymore because of injuries mostly, but I digress. So the lineup now is, you know, you said this is the best defense that the Red Wings have had in, oh, what, since Lidstrom was here? Uh, and it's not not a Lidstrom-level defense, but again, it's way, way, way less bad. The whole lineup itself is just chock full of players who are genuine NHL players. The addition by subtraction has continued, even kind of run out of steam because there's less and less to do. This is going to be a full camp. This is going to be a, a lot of decisions in the margins. You're not just talking about the, the top six anymore. What do you make of the, the team kind of coming into camp and some of the decisions they're going to have to make, especially in the bottom six? Yeah, and I'm, I'm most curious to see how they assemble the thing. I mean, it feels like since the day they acquired Alex to bring it, there's been an argument of whether you split those guys up and have them be on each of your two top six lines. Do you try to play them together? I've been of the split them up mind, but... You know, I'd certainly love to watch what what it looks like if they were to play them together. I want to see all these different deployments. That's this is the time of year where you know it, it starts to you start to kind of feel that excitement again for like oh what is what is, what could this look like? And uh, don't get me wrong, I'm trying to enjoy one more week here before I really have to start thinking about it. But uh, it it is. I mean, you know, it's this is what uh, what this time of year brings out, and so I'm really excited to see what that looks like. I think there's the potential for some really interesting combinations down the lineup too. We, we, we've talked about kind of the, well, do you stack like a checking line down there with, with Comfort and Christian Fisher and Clem Costin or, or how do you do that? What do you do with, uh, uh, you know, Joe Valeno now has signed. So that's resolved, but there's going to be a really good player at forward. If everyone is healthy sitting out and there was the argument of Costin or Fisher, or some people are already ready to see Robbie Fabry scratched sometimes. And, uh, all of these things, much like with the defense, are just decisions that good teams have to make regularly. And so, I don't, you know, it's not crazy, but it, it's jarring for us, I think, because we haven't been talking about players of that caliber potentially getting scratched for a while. Like it's been, it was a huge story. I remember, um, Darren Helm was scratched like two or three years ago on opening <laughs> night, and that we were still talking about that in like January because and he I had think battled back from that scratch to earn a lineup spot or whatever. And I think year over year, every previous season looks even more ridiculous. I think I'm sure this conversation is going to be made fun of in two years as well, too. Like, oh, we were really concerned about, you know, scratching Christian Fisher or Joe Valeno. Yeah, right. Yeah. The Is there any kind of uh, standout in your mind of a player who you think could break through this? Like, those are all roster players. They're NHL level players that you, you mentioned. But do you think there's a Marco Casper type or let's say even longer shot, but feasible Carter Mazer type who can make some noise and uh, take someone's spot at least to start the year like we saw Soderblom do last year? Mazer is the guy who came to mind when you first started saying that. When I talked to Derek Lalone about him after Worlds, because remember Lalone coached him at the World Championships, he did kind of make a point to be like, he is still green, but like it, it is an impressive, you know, good good impression, like whatever, like he likes the mix there. He did make the point of saying, you know, he's still green. And, and I think if you look at Carter Mazur, you know he is still skinnier than you would now going into the summer. I, I haven't seen him in a couple months. Um, skinnier than I think you want for a guy who plays his brand of hockey. 
that will be my biggest source of pause. But when you look at a guy who's played at the world championships and played two years of college hockey, those are the things that you really want to see to know like, okay, this guy's going to, you know, shoot through this and, and find a way to make a run. He can score. He can play a hard game. He can play defensively. I thought he was really good in Grand Rapids in his five or six games there last year. He's the one that comes to mind. Um, and a Marco Casper getting his debut out of the way should certainly put him in that same conversation. Like if, if someone's going to, you know, we talk about Joe Valeno, like he as a center should be locked in. But if something were to change there, it, I have to think it would be because Marco Casper came out and was like, I deserve 14 minutes in the NHL right now. Um, do they have 14 minutes for him in the NHL with, with, uh, Larkin and, and Cop and, and Comfer? That's where I'm skeptical. And that's why I, I set a guy on the wing. But the fact that he's made his debut, I think should at least give the thought that it could happen. Um, so that's interesting, but my pick, I guess would be Mazer, but I'm, I'm kind of skeptical that either of them do it, but I didn't think Soderblom would do it last year either. And that is not saying like at this time of year, I didn't think Soderblom would do it like three days before cuts. So anything can certainly happen. They're definitely open-minded to that stuff. Detroit has gotten better year over year for the last, what is it? Four or five years now. And there's still this big debate right now of, uh, you know, how is the rebuild going under Eisman's, you know, supervision and especially relative to the other teams in the Atlantic, Ottawa and Buffalo are seemingly uh, reaping the, the benefits of multiple high picks and they've put together some really nice teams that are really promising. So what do you make of uh, this kind of this stage of the rebuild with where Detroit's at? They're four years into the Iser plan, so to speak, and there's still, you know, a longer road ahead. How do you gauge this? Yeah, I, I still think, you know, I feel like I've said this two years in a row though, so it's probably starting to become annoying. I, I don't think this is the playoff year, but I could see it soon. Like, you know, but things keep changing, right? Like there, every year, some, it seems like somebody's cycled out. That's like, okay, well, now you got to find a way to replace that guy. And you can just kind of keep kicking that down the road. I would think how much they've done in free agency the last two years um, really raises the floor. And I, it's just a, a matter of like, I also think the playoff bar last year was deceivingly low. It was 92 points, I believe, to get in last year. And that's like five points lower than it's been in past years. It was eight points lower than I think the previous season. And so I don't think you can count on getting into the playoffs with less than like 96, 97 points. And I could see him getting to like 91, 92. My pick for them is probably going to be right around 90, maybe just under. But I could easily see 92, right? Like you could be off by three points, no problem. Once you get to 97, it's like a little higher ask. Now, it could be that all those Atlantic teams just cannibalize each other because I don't think it's going to be nearly as stratified. Like I don't think the gap between the Lightning and the Red Wings, as crazy as this is going to sound, um, is nearly as dramatic as it has been. The high end is still what it is. Andre Vasilevsky still exists. Braden Point is still there. Steven Stamkos is still there. Victor Hedman is still really, really good. But I think when you start to look at depth, I think I'm taking the Red Wings bottom six over the Lightning's bottom six. And I think, you know, on D, depending on how you choose to match some of these guys up, I think the Red Wings finally can, that can help the Red Wings have an answer for, for this, right? Because you start to put out Mo Sider and Jake Wallman against the point Stamkos line. And if they can have a, like a modicum of success, I like their matchups the, the rest of the way. Um, pretty much throughout that lineup, right? Sorelli's going to shut somebody down. Sorelli's going to sh- shut the Larkin line down or whatever. But all of a sudden, you're the deeper team. That gives you a little bit of an edge with the, the great caveat being Andre Vasilevsky. And we saw last year in the middle of that run, like he was the guy who just, they had no answer for him. Even though they dominated the run of play of that game, good luck. It's Andre Vasilevsky. So I don't think they're better than the Lightning, but I think they've closed the gap to the point that's like, okay, this doesn't look like a ridiculous, how could they ever you know, win the season series against the Lightning, for example, which I, did they do it last year? They won the game in Tampa. That stands out in my mind, but I'll, I'll look it up as we talk. But my point is, I don't think they're there, but I just think the fact that we're able to look at um, the rest of these teams in the division and see paths for the Red Wings to, you know, t- win two of their games against them means that these teams could cannibalize each other a little bit. Florida's going to be banged up early in the year. And I think, you know, Ottawa and, and Montreal, or Montreal, I think, Maybe, if anything, being underestimated by people. I mean, they're, they're going to be young, but they're coming along too. And uh, Ottawa, I think, as much as to bring it going from the Senators to the Red Wings flips the uh, the dynamic there, it 
you put Josh Norris back in for the Senators, and I, they might be just as good, if not a little better, than last year too. So they're on the rise. I expect Buffalo to be a playoff team. I, I, I honestly take Buffalo out of that comparison that people love to make because I just think they're they're clearly ahead of the other two. But I, I think it's it's going to be a tightly bunched situation. I just think the Red Wings probably come out, you know, sixth or seventh once again, and I'm sure that that's really frustrating for people who have been hearing that for a couple of years. <laughs> Yeah, the only hope is that that's used as fuel for the team. But you're not wrong, though. Like, the way these teams are constructed, like, yeah, there's you're hoping that one of Florida, Boston, with everything that they lost, or Tampa falls out of the, yeah. you know, bonafide, we are at the top of the Atlantic. And then who's there to pick up the scraps? Well, like you said, there's a pack of teams who are going to try to be waiting, which is, you know, Buffalo, Ottawa, and Detroit. But Buffalo, if they can do what they did towards the end of last season, which was, I think, a a true manifestation of the team that they had and they were only getting better, it, they should be the ones that are poised to pick up those scraps. So, yeah, if Detroit's going to overperform, it has to be that, you know, that Islanders, that Kraken of you come together that's a bunch of, you know, decent to really good players, but playing at a level that's way higher, way greater than the sum of their parts. That's That has to be Detroit's strategy. And the fortunate thing is, is this isn't the NBA uh, this is the NHL where that's actually a thing that can happen and, and coaching and, and team systems can affect that. But that's the task at hand if the Red Wings want to see success this year, in my mind. Yeah. And they did split, by the way, with Tampa last year, two and two. They lost all four to Buffalo, two of them in shootouts, but they lost all four of those. Those are the ones I think you're going to have to, if, if you're going to, you can't be going 0 4 against divisional opponents, even with a couple of shootout losses in there. Like you got to pick up more points in that in your division if you're going to if you're going to hang around um it's it's those games are too important but going two and two against Tampa that's trending the right way right now like can you do it against Florida can you find a way to do it against Boston who's a little bit weaker and and you know those games all of a sudden are hugely hugely meaningful because you you just you can i think they can hold serve with their division against the rest of the league more or less you know around the wild card not like for the division race um but i you know, you start giving away those four point games and it's, it just becomes an impossible hill. That's what really, you know, the, the, you have a weekend like they did in Ottawa last year, you lose two games and it's like, okay, that's flipped you from 30% playoff odds to like eight or whatever it was. Yeah, absolutely. That, what, what a crazy few weeks of hockey. I know we've waxed poetic about it a so million far. times, but that was like the best in, in all of the time where both of us have been covering this team. That was the best three weeks in terms of like actual genuine tangible success and excitement from the fan base a hundred percent i still remember doing a hit with you from uh, from an ll bean in in ottawa as i forgot my luggage and was in an uber on my way to a store to pick out some clothes to wear to this next game uh but it felt like that's what uh, it feels like right like it's like I, i've never covered playoff hockey i'm sure it's even more than that to be honest but just the, the franticness yeah. that it goes at it was it was a rush man i i want nothing more than for this fan base to be able to experience a lot more than than three weeks in february of that yeah and you know what that's that's ultimately what i'm going to land on at this uh, last point which is they were able to do that last year the roster is better this year what it really is coming to in my mind, which I, I think this is the simple but substantial answer to that's going to dictate how the season's going to go for Detroit, you know, barring any catastrophic injury or what have you, it's going to be goaltending. Yep. You know, how's Huso, is Huso going to be able to repeat the like two thirds of the season that he did really well in? And can Reimer and Lyon pick up the, the slack? And it's not a guaranteed answer, right? Like you're asking Huso to maintain a really high level when he showed that he did taper off when he got overworked. And Reimer and Lyon are both goalies who have had a lot of success, but are still largely unknown quantities in the context of this rebuilding team. So what do you make of uh, uh, goaltending running the show? Huge question mark, for sure. I mean, I, I, I thought Huso was really good for long stretches last season. And I think um, I think I was saying the exact same thing a year ago about Alex Ndalkovich was that they had overworked him and that, you know, Huso coming in would... Uh, would get the right balance, but that I thought I, from what I had seen from him, he would win, the, win the kind of slight majority uh, by the end and, and be the guy and it'd be really good because he was playing the right number of games and oh boy, did that not happen? Um, I don't think that's going to happen with Huso. I think he's a little just steadier in general. Um, but I don't think it's a given that he gets back to 919 hockey, which I think is what really you're, you're hoping for from him is to be a guy in the, in the nine teens and, and maybe he can get back, you know, if, if he could give you a nine Oh nine or nine ten, 
think you're feeling good. And if, if he can get back up anywhere above that, I think then you have a real chance to be in the hunt in, in late March. But it's, it's the giant question mark because we just haven't, you know, we've seen him do it for, for stretches. And I thought for the early season last year, he was really good, but you, you're not going to know that until February, until March, until there's been some fatigue. And at that point, you know, what can you do? All right, folks, Max Boltman has to uh, head out to Belle Isle. Uh, be sure to check out his work uh, at the athletic Detroit as we thank him for jumping on the podcast. Uh, also M underscore Boltman on Twitter, give him a follow or X or whatever. Uh, if you don't already, I'm sure you do. Uh, he has a really cool story coming out, uh, regarding, um, Jeff and Dan Petrie. If you don't mind me spoiling that little bit, yeah. Max. And, uh, so be sure to, uh, click on the link to that article from his Twitter and then subscribe to the athletic. If you're not already, uh, his work is worth the price of admission. Max, thanks so much, man. Uh, the season's about to start to ramp up. So enjoy this last little bit of peace you have and, I uh, can't wait for another season of covering this team. Absolutely, man. Thanks so much for having me. That was our interview with Max Boltman. Thank you, as always, to Max for joining the show. Hope you all enjoyed. Uh, we are now going to take advantage of the fact that Brad is feeling entirely unwell and jump into a topic that is certainly uh, going to make his body feel physically worse, and that is the Patrick Kane rumors. Yes, the Patrick Kane rumors. We've joked on the show about Patrick Kane and the Red Wings uh, for a little while now because obviously with you know Alex DeBrickett coming over, those two are attached at the hip in Chicago, et cetera, et cetera. And the fact that Patrick Kane is a free agent and Detroit is in desperate need of scoring. Well, partly a joke and partly, you know what, this actually kind of fits much to the chagrin of a lot of people. But still, John Dietz of the Daily Herald tweeted something out saying watch for Patrick Kane to sign with the Detroit Red Wings someone who knows Kane very well said Kane told him he wanted to follow Alex Dabrinkit if slash when he was able of course there has to be a mutual interest so we'll see if Detroit extends an olive branch so first off you know John Dietz is someone who has broken other things in the Chicago news space as far as I understand so not going to question the credibility of the person. The report is, as I just mentioned, like that was the the tweet that was put out. And it was a lot of what we had known about Patrick Kane, you know, really, really loved playing with Alex Dabrinkit. The chemistry they had there was among the league's best. And yeah, he might want to follow him. What do you make of this? How much do you, of this do you think is significant and new overall thoughts? Well, we made the jokes about it a while ago after the Debrinka trade just broke, but like the jokes were based in some logic, like you said. We we know that Debrinka and Kane had a good relationship; they're good friends, and it, and with Kane being a free agent, it wouldn't be the craziest thing in the world that he would want to play uh, with Debrinka somewhere. And then it, as it turns out, Debrinka gets traded to a team that actually probably has the cap space to accommodate Patrick Kane, which not many teams do and yeah again and i'm not even going to fault the reporter for how crazy this story got because it was stupid because he was careful in his wording where he said kane you know could want to follow his friend to detroit he even explicitly said he doesn't know if detroit reciprocates if they have any interest at all but in typical fashion the first line of you know watch for patrick kane to detroit to sign with the red wings every stupid Instagram meme page, fake reporting garbage, put some clickbaity picture on there. I know this because I got tagged in about a thousand of them and everybody's like, Oh my God, Kane signing with Detroit. Nope. You, you literally had to read three sentences and you couldn't get past the first one to understand what was going on. So that, that was the irritating part of this all to me, not the actual report. Cause you know, whatever you think of Patrick, Patrick Kane as a, person you know fair unfair you know i'm not gonna argue with you but patrick kane the hockey player to detroit makes a lot of sense because they can't score to save their lives so they get one of the best you know albeit very aged point producers of the last 10 to 15 years yeah that would make some sense especially when you're reuniting him with his buddy like everything about the report was fair makes sense it stated that nothing is definitive they don't even know if the sides are talking. They don't even know if Detroit gives a crap. 
All they're saying is, yeah, Patrick Kane would have interest in Detroit if Detroit's interested, which is a very fair report. It is literally step one in a 12-step process of signing a free agent. Absolutely fair. So I, if it wasn't for the people who can't read more than one sentence in a report, this would have been a no big deal thing in Detroit. But unfortunately, our attention span as a society right now is roughly that of a four-month-old golden retriever puppy. I think if we were a Chicago Blackhawks podcast and we said something like this, it definitely would have caught fire a little bit more. But since we're just a Red Wings podcast and we said it mostly ironically about Patrick Kane coming to play for the Red Wings, it kind of was just more of a joke. So I see this sort of, I guess, tweet information dump as just one step further than what we've basically said is, yeah, it would make sense. This was uh, Alex DeBrinkett's most productive line mate and it's Patrick Kane. It makes sense, you know. From that perspective, it would make sense, but uh, it's just sort of a, a thought experiment at this time for me. Yeah. Would I love Patrick Kane on this team? Yeah, I'm okay with it, but you know what really gets me excited about having Patrick, if Patrick Kane signed with the Red Wings? Buying a Patrick Kane Red Wings jersey and wearing it in Chicago. <laughs> yes, Red Wings fans, it would be painful to have to take back every bad thing you might have said about Patrick Kane and the Blackhawks because part of the joys of being a Detroit sports fans is hating Chicago sports and Patrick Kane specifically. That's not a new story, but seeing the pain on their faces when they see Kane in a Red Wings jersey would be objectively hysterical. Yeah. I watched one of my friends die inside when Daniel Alfredson played for the Red Wings and that was great, but watching Chicago Blackhawks fans die inside if Patrick Kane plays for the Red Wings would just be maybe the one is one of the greatest days of my life. And it's not like it's unfamiliar territory, right? Like Chris Chelios played for the Blackhawks forever and then came and played for Detroit. So it's not out of the realm of familiarity for Red Wings fans. Let's talk about Kane, you know, hypothetically the player, what would he bring? Because this is a guy who has really trailed off from obviously the heights of his career He's older now, so you're not getting the best years of Patrick Kane. He just had, was it the hip resurfacing surgery? So, you know, pretty intense surgery to come back from. His defense is a black hole, as Brad loves to describe it right now, and he's not at the height of his offensive output. So what really would the Red Wings be getting? It mostly depends on, you know, how he recovers with this time off, and if and when he does choose to sign with the team, what version of him comes back. So, it's not just, oh, you're getting Patrick Kane, the Hart Trophy winner, 100 plus points, et cetera, et cetera. There's actually a question here of, does this make sense for your roster? I think it makes sense for the roster, even understanding the shortcomings. Are you getting 75% of Patrick Kane, 50% of Patrick Kane? Yeah, it's probably somewhere in that range, but 75 to 50% of Patrick Kane is probably still 50 to 60 points. And he's, if his sole purpose on the Red Wings is to run a power play unit and just get the puck to Alex Dabrinkit as much as possible, it's worth it. It's absolutely worth it because this team can't score. I mean, how many times can we say that over and over and over for the last, what, seven years? This team can't score. So if you just acquired one of the best young goal scorers in the league and you have like his secret weapon to truly unlocking him available to you. Yeah. Yeah. You take that chance. Do you have to maybe really shelter his minutes at five on five and give him the Thomas Vanek treatment? Yeah, almost certainly you do. If he plays eight minutes a night at even strength and 10 minutes a night on the power play. Fine. I, I, I'd be perfectly okay with that. Cause again, there's no, you know, denying what he is anymore. He's a watered down version of himself with the uh, yeah, black hole defensively is probably appropriate. So you maybe at five on five have to put him with someone like a Michael Rasmussen just to hide that as best you can. But the upside, even the lower upside than he would normally bring is still something this team could I don't want to say desperately use, but they could really use. 
there's a lot of, as you alluded to earlier, Brad, understandable frustration and even anger from some Red Wings fans at the notion of this to say, how could you, you know, bring in Patrick Kane after, you know, the entire history that he has. And it's not even just the Blackhawks, but, you know, everything else that went on in his career and agree or don't with the, the kind of notion of this, I will tell you that it does not matter to an NHL GM when they see that kind of talent available. If they do believe that Patrick Kane can still be, as Brad said, you know, 40, 50, 60 points and he comes in cheap, they'll sign him. It, you look at what your team needs and if that's out there in free agency where it costs you nothing other than the contract, that's an option. Very, very few situations will lead to a team not signing a guy on any kind of you know, principled background. And if so, you're going to play a team defensive uh, style of hockey, then I think this would you know, sort of shelter the defensive liability that Patrick Kane now is, right? Like you have four other guys on the ice that are well aware of what's going on. Well, I sh- this is the Detroit Red Wings. I shouldn't say well aware <laughs> that are mostly aware of what is going on. So you th- you think that would be able to hide that a little bit and you need those kind of counter striking guys who can, when they get one opportunity, they, they put the puck in the net or they distribute it to someone for an easy goal. And Patrick Kane is that in spades. So I, you know what, I can see the fit there and it all makes sense, but Patrick Kane's got friends on every single team in the NHL. He just played with one of his friends in the Rangers and Artemi Panarin. So like for me, it's like, why would he come to Detroit? Sure. He's buddies with the, the Brinkett, but I don't see the connection other than that. And he could play on any contender if they've got some cap space or have the the will to get Patrick Kane. I just, for me, I don't see the fit all that well from his perspective. See, that's the thing though. It is the cap space. Even if Patrick Kane, I don't think he would ask for something this cheap, but even if he asked for something as little as 3 million for the season, there is not a lot of teams that are, that are contenders that could make that work right now. And yeah, there's enough teams that could do some cap juggling to make it work because we've talked about this again the cap is fake when a team is desperate enough they can do whatever the hell they want and they can make it work but to a team like the rangers as we saw last year does patrick kane really move the needle at this point in his career relative to who else they have on the roster and for 90 percent of the contenders the answer is no he doesn't and they probably have two or three players just like him who are in a better stage of their career so they're not going to do all that juggling to make it work does a guy like patrick kane move the needle for a fringy playoff team like ottawa detroit you know whoever yes and those are going to be the teams that would have the cap space or be willing to do the maneuvering to make it work given that detroit's one of the very few teams who might be battling for a playoff spot that just has the cap space and doesn't need to do any maneuvering i i if if you're in the pro sign patrick kane camp that's the biggest argument in favor of it because they have the least gymnastics to do from a team where there's at least some logic to signing patrick kane and i don't even well we all know cap the cap is fake and I don't think there's any world where Cat- Patrick Kane's even looking to play day one of the season. So I think he'll be the type of guy who waits it out, sees what teams are, you know, bubbling to the top in terms of ca- uh, cup contenders. And, you know, there'll be players going on LTIR. We you know teams like to sort of game that system to their advantage. So I think the team's at this moment, yeah, the Red Wings or the the fringe teams make a lot of sense, but I could definitely see as the season progresses, you know, the the true contenders putting guys on LTIR, then it it becomes a lot more clear which teams would be available to to court Patrick Kane. And that all leads to what Brad said earlier. This is just so early in the game. Is it a possibility? Yeah, absolutely. Is it a certainty? Far, far from it. So much needs to happen. Kane needs to continue to recover. The season needs to go on. 
he needs to think who are the contenders, who actually wants me. Is the want to connect with Debrinket so strong that it overcomes the fact that Detroit's not really a cup contender, which is what someone in Kane's situation is is ultimately chasing at this point in their career. It's a possibility. It is not even remotely a certainty. And it's just, you know, anything right now is speculation, which is what we just did. You, you can't call it anything beyond that. He's going to take a league minimum contract and go play for the Pittsburgh Penguins. You know what? Like, <laughs> anyhow, that's enough about Patrick Kane. I'm sure this is going to, uh, much to Brad's joy, come up plenty. Let's talk about something that is actually real and has actually happened in the world of hockey. A final step in the unification of professional women's hockey. Do we finally have the solution that not just you know, one league for all of the best women hockey players, but also one that the NHL will offer their support to, the PWHL. What do we know, Brad? Well, we have our original six. So the league's going to kick off in January. The We don't have team names or anything yet, but we know the six markets that will be hosting these six teams in the one, I don't even want to call it unified league because the way this all went down was kind of sketchy, but the only league now. So you got three Canadian teams, three American teams, Montreal, Ottawa, Toronto, and then Minnesota, New York, and Boston. So all good hockey markets makes a ton of sense. Uh, You know, there was a lot of other cities that were rumored to have interest or at least be of interest for the league. And ultimately they didn't get it. I know Pittsburgh, Washington had really good turnouts for some of their showcase events. So they were in it. Uh, Other people were pushing for Chicago, Detroit. A couple West Coast uh, cities, Seattle specifically, were also being involved. But anyways, it all settled on, you know, six good markets. And it kicks off in January. Training camps open mid-November. The interesting part now is the whole how the teams get assembled. Because this process is very unique. And I don't think we've ever seen a league set it up quite like this before at any level. So we're actually currently in the middle of the open free agency window, but each team is only allowed to sign three players in this free agency window. That's it. Three. And then anybody who's not signed has to declare for the draft. And then it's uh, essentially a six team expansion draft. Uh, There are a lot of restrictions, which I'm not going to bore everything going through, you know, relative to, NCAA graduates and current students and contract length maximums and minimums and all that fun stuff. Uh, if, if you are interested in that, you, the information is readily available. But yeah, so it's basically every team gets a three free agent head start and then it's an expansion draft. And then, yeah, training camps open mid November and off she goes. For me, it's just like you said, Brad, the, the path here was muddy and murky there's a lot of blood in the water a lot of you know good players who just want to play hockey in the best league that they could and earn an income you know got hurt by this so i don't want to make i don't want to reduce the impact of that but if this leads to a one unified league where eventually because it is a little wonky the way they're doing it we finally get a central you know best-on-best women's hockey league. I'm optimistic about this. The only thing I'm really sad about here is that Detroit wasn't one of the original six franchises listed, but if this league takes off and, you know, if the Red Wings, I'm not even kidding while I say this, if Detroit as a market rises to the top again, that is going to drive Detroit eventually having one of these these markets. But for the, the players that we know, Brad, and for the players around the world, like this is a great way to just explode in the best way possible the sport of professional women's hockey yeah ultimately this is long term a really huge benefit for the game Uh, and i'm not even going to just say the women's game for the game having a good established women's hockey league is good for hockey fans not just women like we all watch a million levels of hockey so this just gives us another avenue to watch hockey right you know so I always hate when I hear it's just like, oh, this is great for the women's game. I'm like, well, I'm I'm going to watch this. Why can I not enjoy this? So, but yeah, it is a huge step in the right direction. The way they got here, again, we can go through it in more detail in another episode. Wasn't great. 
And the way that they went about it wasn't great. And a lot of really, really good hockey players are going to be unemployed this year because of it. So I I do have a ton of criticisms for how this all went down. But if we're looking at what was best for the game 5, 10, 15 years from now, yeah, this is overall a positive step because it is a one unified league. All the talent gets filtered because like what the PWHPA has been doing for the last two, three years is just stupid. They've been trying to get a league going forever and they constantly were tripping over themselves. And then the PHF actually had a functioning league going, playing their players very well. Was it sustainable? Well, probably not. But again, that's a whole, again, a whole nother topic. But with all this done, all the talent is going to be funneled into one league. All eyes can go to one spot. Now the NHL and Gary Bettman's got to put his money where his mouth is said he wasn't getting involved as long as there were two competing leagues. And that is not the case anymore. I know the NHL already put out a statement saying something along the lines of they're looking forward to working with the new league, which is not insignificant because the NHL getting involved here is critical, absolutely critical. And it's not a coincidence. The original six markets are NHL markets because this doesn't fly if the Montreal Canadiens don't get involved with the with the Montreal team, if the Ottawa Senators don't get involved with the Ottawa team, if the Minnesota Wild don't get involved with the Minnesota team, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. This has to be a collaboration of some kind. Like the WNBA model works and it has worked for a long time. Yeah, there's some financial flaws with the way they run it. Whatever it is, what it is. Something like that, though, has to be pretty similar to the model that this ultimately ends up being. Is it way too early to say what that looks like? Yeah, obviously we have, there's so many unknowns still, but with the draft, there should be some parity. They're in good markets, all the talents in one place. So this is a good first step and it's only six teams, which is a little lighter than I thought they would have went year one. But if it goes well this year, and the response is great. The turnout's great. The viewership is great. Maybe next year, you know, you add a Detroit and Chicago or a Vancouver and Seattle or a Pittsburgh and Washington, and then you just keep branching off, adding a couple new teams every year for however long, uh, as long as it's sustainable. So, yeah, overall, it's huge for the game. Now you just got to – the only thing I don't like about this is it's basically one guy in charge of the whole damn thing. So – Hopefully he knows what he's doing. And as Brad mentioned, this doesn't really need to be stated every time, but it kind of does. It's not just about, you know, women's hockey. It's about the sport itself. You get more people interested in hockey. Think of little girls who start playing hockey and then they see a league that they can eventually play in. Like that is going to inspire more young women to pick up the game, which is going to grow the game inherently, which is going to create more hockey fans, not just for the PWHL, for the NHL. It is good for the sport. What's good for any version of hockey is good for all versions of hockey. The rising tide rises, raises all boats, ships, whatever. This is hopefully a linear path forward rather than the zigzagging, going backwards, you know, snakes and ladders that we've been seeing for a long time. So fingers crossed that this goes well. We'll be monitoring it as it goes. Let's now jump into overtime to wrap up this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast. Again, overtime is brought to you by our Patreon supporters, patreon.com slash winged wheel podcast if you want to support. The Discord, the bonus episodes, the giveaways, and so much more are part of your benefits. You allow us to do things like support the Jamie Daniels Foundation and their fight against substance use disorder. I partner with the Detroit Red Wings to run Winged Wheel podcast nights at the LCA and lots more. Lots more. Keep uh, keep your eyes peeled for news in that space coming soon. Additionally, the expansion of the Winged Wheel podcast kind of content universe through shows like Expected by Whom, hosted by Sean Shapiro and Prashant Iyer. Give them a follow and check out that show. Absolutely worth a listen. They've had some incredible interviews recently. Okay, let's take some questions from our Patreon supporters. Clint Banesh says... Let's imagine everything gets worked out and NHL players are allowed to play in the 2026 Winter Olympics. If they're selecting today, who from the current Red Wings roster represents their national team? Okay. Uh, the obvious one here is Larkin. Larkin? So, right off the top, uh, Larkin would. I'd say DeBrinket has an outside chance of making the U.S. team, depending how things go for him in Detroit the next couple of years. 
Uh, I would the U.S. still take an aging Patrick Kane? We'll see. The obviously here Raymond for Sweden. Yep. You, ha- you have to imagine cider, obviously. For, yep. Yep. Cider Germany. for Germany. And then beyond yep. that, Berggren could make it. Yeah, I could see it. I could see it. If he progresses well enough. And then on defense. Casper, if Austria has a team. That's true. Yeah. 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 At forward. Simon Edvinson, maybe, depending on where he's at by 2026. Really kind of outside shot. Canada's uh, a different beast. It's not as easy to make that team, but Jake Wallman could be a look depending on how the cards fall. If the Netherlands really get their hockey program together, Daniel Sprong has dual citizenship. (laughs) Thanks, Evan. (laughs) And then for goaltending, I think it's just, it might just be who's hot over the last couple of years. So could Vili Husso be in contention for the Finns? Maybe. I could see it. He's certainly enough to be in the conversation depending on how he's playing at the time. Yeah, interesting thought. Okay. Thomas Anderson says, break out your crystal ball. Did I waste 50 bucks by betting the Red Wings will finish above 86 and a half points this season? If you're curious, the payout is a whopping $45 profit if they do. I don't think that's a waste. They got better, and so ostensibly they should, barring some pretty rough injuries. The problem is a competitive Atlantic, right? As Max mentioned, like you can't be dropping four games to Buffalo if you want to be doing that, but Detroit has the talent to finish you know, well above that. But they do it. Yeah, absolutely. Would I have made that bet? Eh, I'd be on the fence. Probably not. Adam Hutchinson says, what are the line combos that you want to see at some point, just out of curiosity, a new Redwoods line like Elmer Rasmussen and Costin. Well, that'd be massive. I just want Larkin to bring it Raymond. I have to see it. I do not. I genuinely do not care what they do below that. Yeah. Cletus uh, asks more about the Kane situation, says, what would you offer in terms of term and AAV and or would you even want to bring Kane in at this point for the Red Wings? One-year deal. Honestly, don't even care about the AAV if it's a one-year deal. Yeah, they have impending contracts to to bring in, so it's not so simple where you just sign them for three or four years. But yeah, on a one-year deal, I'd be interested in seeing it for sure. You definitely want to keep the AAV as down as possible just in case things go really off the rails and Patrick Kane's like, hey, I want to go play for a contender and you can eat some of that maybe. I don't know. But yeah, it would be minimal term, minimal money where possible. And one more here. Cody Stark says, I have the second overall pick in the 22nd annual WHL Fantasy Hockey League draft. Assuming McDavid is gone at one, who should I select at two? I have three players on my mind, but I would like all three of your opinions. I asked Max and Prashanth, and they both said they suck at fantasy hockey. Is this Dry- a keeper league, or is it just a one-year a one thing? It's a one-year thing. I would have to imagine that Drysidle has to be up there. It depends what stats matter because Drysidle, if you're just going by the basics, oh yeah, he's the no-brainer. But if plus-minus matters and secondary stats like that matter, then all of a sudden his value diminishes a little bit. I think McKinnon probably has some justification here, especially if the secondary stats matter. Austin Matthews, any centerman really, like Austin Matthews is obviously a good pick too. It's Yeah, it's a centerman's world usually. For the first overall pick or second overall pick. I go dry subtle McKinnon or Matthews. So the other thing to think about and uh, with fantasy sports, and this is going back to one of my strategies, depending where you're picking, especially in the like for second overall might not apply as much, but value relative to the next best available. It's probably way at second overall is probably way too high, but I remember I would always pick Eric Carlson super early just because he was so far ahead of the next best defenseman. Whereas the third best forward to the 14th best forward wasn't a huge drop in terms of uh, points. So, you know, does a Carlson or a Kale McCarr make sense there? Maybe, probably not that early, but 
something to consider. All right. We're going to give Brad's voice a break here and wrap up this episode of the Winged Wheel podcast. Our schedule over the next couple of weeks is going to be a little funky, so bear with us. We will hopefully have some good announcements to make about the upcoming season, and we'll also make some announcements about the schedule as Evan and I go spend all of the money we have in the world on getting married. So uh, bear with us, but don't worry. We will be ready and at full speed in time for the upcoming season. Want to thank everyone so much for tuning in to this unexpectedly remote episode. Forgive any quality issues as we just want to cobble something together for you. And Brad, as much as I give you hell, uh, you're a superhero for managing the show. I'm watching you just die every time you mute the mic. So kudos to you, man. And uh, all of our listeners, thank you so much, new and old. Our Patreon supporters, we can't do this without you. Uh, our name level supporters on Patreon. Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Akefer, Samuel Soderholm, Raymond's Missing Tooth, Icon, Brad's Lord and Savior, Bradley Cleveland, Glenn Brabham, Everybody Loves Raymond, Croner's Left Knee, Sea Lion, Keenan O'Donohue, Yanni Burgers, Meals on Wheels, Matthew M. Rice, a frustrated emoji, Admiral Matt S. of the Cheesebag Navy, Buck the Suckeyes, Carl Britanna Nanaluski, Citizen High Five, Clip Clop Nene, Connor Scovey, Cooking with Kosa, Coyote Season Tickets and Anywhere But Tempe, Craig Kibble, Denny's Gamer Girl, Derek and Stamp, DJ Denton, Exquisitine Bublé Schwinslow, Give Blood, Fight Probert, Hockey Town Love, Hockey Town Matt, Hassam Alkasem, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Joel Miranda, Kaylin Wood, Marcus, Marlon Winchester, Matt McKay, Michael Edland, Pro Brain Deblage Brad, RA Red 3, Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Scree and Lube, that's what I appreciate about you, Walman's Elite Dancing D, Iserplan, Stan, General Andy Bohan of the Cheesebag Army, Sam Bankson, Adam Rose, Big Cheese, Brad Simmons, Brian Vasha, Captain Antonio Gracias of the United Federation of Cheesebags, Chuck Buffchest, the Tarpless Goon, Commander Ben Barron of the Cheesebag Space Force, Connor, Connor Leighton, Corey Prita, D. Daniels, Darren Fick, Frank Stanley, Gene Sullivan, Griffey Boy, Henrik Robert Deeks, Instructions Unclear, Cheesebag No Longer Fresh, James Laporte, James Pridemore, Jeremiah Dobo, J.M. Rhapsody, John Evans Derogatory, John Ingalls, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Linda Hall, Matt K. Cannon Fodder, The Cheesebag Army, Maximilian, Melissa Erickson, Norris Sider, Oophelia, on the banks of the Red Cedar, there's a school that's known to all. Its specialty is winning, and the Spartans play good ball. Damn it. Steven, Tatarsos, the Hodag, the Hat123, Winging It in San Diego, Wings fan in Alaska, your second favorite patron. Thank you all so very much. We'll be back with you on Sunday, hopefully, in studio. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.